Flourishing Education, the podcast where I share the powerful, imperfectly perfect conversations with disruptors of the education system in the UK and beyond. I would really like to encourage you to take a listen and see what's possible as I ask the question, how can we change the way we educate and parent our children and young people so that they can truly become flourishing, curious, lifelong learners and young adults. I hope you enjoy these episodes as much as I've enjoyed recording them and creating them. Please do not hesitate to connect with me on LinkedIn, Fabian Vales, and or, and or on Twitter at FlourishingHG. And please let me know what's your favourite episode or favourite part of the podcast. I look forward to hearing from you and in the meantime I truly hope you are thriving and flourishing. Wishing you a fabulous day wherever you are in the world. Hello and welcome to another powerful, imperfectly perfect conversation for the Flourishing Education podcast. Today I'm with Dr. Nicoline Dupria. A very warm welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Wonderful. So for the listeners, and this seems to be a trend, normally I get to speak to some of the people I interview first. Nicoline, just like some of the other guests recently, we haven't spoken before other than connecting on LinkedIn. Um, but I really love her post and, and I just love the energy of her post. So that's why I invited her for the podcast. Um, so Nicoline, to start with, would you share with us um, you know, where you are, who you are and uh, your journey thus far? It's such a <clears throat> such a nice question to to begin with and normally even at the learning center we start with a uh, sense of place so this seems like a very cool place to start so um, I'm Dr. Nicoline Dupria I'm from South Africa but I'm currently based in Bali and here in Bali I'm a co-founder of a learning center called Open Flow Learning Center and it's an alternative way of educating Uh, It's not a school. Many people still say it's a school, but it's not. It's a place of learning. And we have quite a variety of people coming here for for learning, whether it's interns from the university or kids or adults. And this is where I currently am. But the story of, of arriving here, I think that's quite an interesting one. Amazing. So shall we start with that? Do you want to share the journey <laughs> or a bit of the journey or maybe the key the key elements of what got you to uh, opening you know, a, a learning centre in Bali? I mean, that, that's a, quite a wow, because <laughs> Bali is such a beautiful place in the world, right? Mm-hmm. To me, it seems it seems to be not that I've been, but it just, yeah, it really appeals because of, of nature and its environment. So yeah, I'd love you to share whatever you feel like sharing, of course. Yeah, I think Bali is an interesting place. It has a lot of diversity. And I think whenever there's a lot of diversity, it's, it's definitely a rich ground for uh, flourishing. And I think that really resonates with this podcast. So I'm going to be super vulnerable today and really share something about my story, which I haven't shared before in any public platform. Um, And I'm going to go right back to where OpenFlow started. And I can feel it like coming right up my chest and I can feel like just my whole body warm up and responding. And I'm going to go with the emotions and I'm going to go with the flow um, because I do also feel when Um, things arrive to you or you have to do is fulfill that responsibility to let it flow so at the beginning of COVID I was working at a school on island um, a well-known school for sustainability and basically I think very similar to most people at that time um, was asked to finish my contract uh, both because of the COVID situation and the uncertainty that it brought to uh, the whole educational platform 
and um, also for being very disruptive. And part of my excellent interview was if only you can be a little bit less creative and less disruptive, that would be very helpful. <laughs> so with, with all of that, um, obviously, you know, it comes as a shock and then it comes secondary as an opportunity. And it just depends on whether your perspective is aligned with shock or, or possibility. So at that time, I was in conversation with, with somebody who's called Chris. And he kept on saying to me, uh, even years before, before that, two years before that, Nicolene, you really need to do your own thing. I, I'm just telling you. And he kept on saying that and saying that. And basically, when the opportunity came, well, I grabbed it. And I just knew that I couldn't do it by myself. So at that point, uh, I was working with a colleague called Peter Phillips. And I said, hey, Pete, there's this opportunity. I, I know you don't know me well. I know you don't know Chris well. But are you willing to take this step and, and try out this new way of educating? Um, because essentially, when you've been in education and you've seen other possibilities, you can't help but wanting to explore that. And you can't, like, you can't help it. Like, it's it's. It's really strange. And I think for any educator that listens to this podcast will know that you find those children or those, those colleagues in, in the staff room as well, or those children in your class where they, they just see something else and you can either explore it or suppress it. So with all of that, I mean, the part that gives me goosebumps, um, which is a very personal part, I basically got to the point of opening open flow and uh, with Pete and Chris, we are three co-founders and uh, I had to choose between my marriage and opening open flow. That was a very, very big step for me to say, yes, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this wholeheartedly. And at that point, my partner and I just knew that we weren't on the same path and we weren't, we weren't choosing things for the same reasons. And I mean, security-wise, it's, it's easy to go and find a job at an international school in another country. You can be part of the system. You can have the flights, the medical, the, you know, everything that comes with the security. But then at the end, when you put your head down, maybe at 80 or 90, you also carry that enormous weight of regret, perhaps, or that unknowing. And... I, I realize now, and I realize this more and more every day, um, security means different things for different people. Uh, trust means different things for different people. Taking risks means different things for different people. And I knew that opening up open flow definitely meant different things for different people. And I took the leap and it's been a crazy two years in my personal life. Um, but somehow holding the vision, because another thing that I truly believe is when something comes through you is that something like open flow is not for me. It's not about me. It has nothing to do with me. It is when it's when and I don't want to sound uh, arrogant, but it's when you are in that position of choice to say, I want to do something bigger and greater for the benefit of many other people and other people meaning kids as well and also for my own kids so that's that's the start of open flow and then of course we built from scratch there was nothing but just trash on on the block of land and i i don't know i'm sure you've seen some of our instagram or our website and nothing existed even the place that i'm in now where i'm sitting now it didn't exist so it was starting from the bottom up, building relationships, building connection and going organically through many cycles. So I'm very grateful. I have a very different sense of, of gratitude three years down, down the line, gratitude for land, for people, for place, for education, for educators, just for everything. Um, and I have a different sense of self-gratitude for sticking out and sticking up for what I believe in and just going with that so 
yeah, I haven't I haven't spoken about this before um, because it's it's a strange thing. People will always say, "Don't choose your job above your family or whatever that definition might be." So here I and am. Thank you, yeah. thank you for having you know the 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 courage and the openness to share share with me. So um, I'm particularly moved because. Um, I've I've had to make similar choices in the sense that you know I'm a I, I'm a a teacher you know I call myself a reform mum and a and a recovering teacher <laughs> so um, makes sense I I too have had to uh, you know really the last year in particular has been a grieving process of letting go of a system that you know, and a lot of conditioning and that, and what you shared with us for the first time I think more and more I'm feeling that what's lacking in education is that is the the, the courage the, the 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 heart you know like courage um I've got a friend Alan Williams who loves words like me because we're both linguists um in in, in you know differently but we love words um and courage comes from uh you know the the, the French word cur, right heart um and so in a way you're you're really showing to me what you know what I felt I had no other choice you know I fell into my research I felt like it was happening through me like the podcast it has a life of its own um so would you agree with that that in a way it's like it's something that even though it's tough like you know for us we had we deregistered our son because he asked us to post-covid so we've got one in mainstream and one in because he wanted to be home educated um and that wasn't easy that that's a really challenging thing to do like it sounds like what you've had to do has been it's not never always like you know peaks there's also valleys right um so would I mean is that what it feels like like a coming from the heart and uh or, or would you describe it differently well I think it's definitely all of that and more and um the more part is somebody asked me yesterday actually what how do you deal with setbacks and my answer was well you set them back so yes that came from the heart the process was painful but i think the most rewarding part of this all is to to leave it there and to say okay like not dwell on it and not use it as an excuse but like i've said use it as an opportunity opportunity and and to move on on from that um because every valley is as beautiful as every peak because they are beautiful in their in their own way. And sometimes it is just magnificent to look up and say, wow, like that's still coming. I can't wait. And I know it might sound very cliche or it sounds like, oh yeah, everything is just so positive. It's it's not. Sometimes I do feel um, the flip side of, of all of this, but my mental strength and my inner capacity, my inner compass to navigate this, this has changed. And um, it's an exciting journey. And when you start identifying that in others, and most importantly, when you're working with parents and parents come with uh, their, their own um, questioning about their children or their own doubts or their own wonderings or uh, decision-making, it gives you a different perspective. It, and it's not that they have to follow your perspective. It's that you have that feeling of discernment and not getting drawn into the situation, uh, maybe that much. But to be able to say, yep, I hear you. There, there are some tough things in life and parenting can be tough. And I, I hear you, tantrums can be tough. And I, I have empathy for that. However, that, that shouldn't be the excuse to make a good decision for your child. Or that shouldn't be the excuse for you to take a closer look at your relationship with your child, for, for example, or, or vice versa, or to actually speak up and say, actually, that's enough now. I think we can find a better way to communicate. Um, and I think the key communicate is a big thing for me at the moment, um, because that's the part of my, my personal process. 
that's really lingering at, at the moment. So if I take my divorce until now and I map it onto my educational pathway, each one of these indicators, whether it was getting into a hard conversation, speaking your truth, acting on it, discerning, making decisions, drawing the line, being clear, whatever that might have been in my personal process, they've always been indicators of where I am within my educational journey as well. And I think currently for me, a big indicator all around is about communication. How can I communicate better? How can I communicate um, so that it's more equitable in um, in conversations, for example, or even with my kids. I have two super crazy, phenomenal kids. Um, one is a teenager, he's 14, Kentridge, and the other is 10, his name is Caden. And what this journey has done for them, I, I'm, I'm actually speechless. Um, I, I kind of find it hard to relate to most parents who have teenagers, because uh, I, I have the teenage son who jumps on the bed and has a conversation or pulls out his magic cards that he played when he was in grade five and um, who decides to go to uh, aerial hoop class with some of the girls at the learning center because he's not in a stereotypical uh, environment where you can't because of gender or, or things like that. So I'm, I'm so grateful for one choice one very hard choice that has led to to so many other possibilities yeah. and so there's again so many similarities because because my eldest like it's been a year since we've deregistered and I've watched my eldest just grow and develop and it's truly magical and 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 I feel I feel like you I hate the stereotyping of teenagers I think I think we are pigeonholing them and deciding for them and a lot of my research around flourishing is talking about you know who are we in the garden called life what are our unique gifts and our fragrance we all a different living ecosystem and as parents it's not our role to decide what that living ecosystem is it's like you you have to hold the space for that for for that seed to grow into this fully grown you know adult living ecosystem um without the least impact like from your limiting beliefs and everything else um not always easy with the conditioning right because the conditioning runs deep but um and I, I agree with you about around relationships so you've mentioned relationship and communication uh, and I wonder whether we could explore down that path for now. So for you, what are, you know, is how how different is your approach to communication and relationship in that in open flow learning center compared to when you you worked in a in a more sort of traditional setting or in a school? Uh, and and are there any key elements or you know non-negotiables or you know I don't like calling them that but you know what I mean things that like in a recipe to have a to have a something you you need you need elements right <laughs> that wonder whether you could share with us yeah I think there's definitely I won't say there's a, a recipe that's a one size fit all it's one of those recipes that you get from your grandmother and you move to another country and you find out that they don't have the ingredients, but the gist of it is still the same. Um, so for me, there's, I think, a lot that has changed in communication and relationship with how we do open flow, with how I do open flow, um, as opposed to when I had to work in an IB school or in a government school or even back in South Africa in a private, private school. Um, and the first thing is the amount of choice and voice that we bring into the learning center, but also in, in the children's day, in how they do things and how they get to actually speak up and take responsibility. So I think a lot of the time in a traditional school setting, the responsibility or the accountability was either through a test or through homework or through some sort of mechanism. Um, that wasn't really, you, you, you were almost held accountable without responsibility. Because it doesn't matter which way you go, you still have to do it. 
even if you think you're responsible or not, you still have to do that. And somebody external holds you accountable for that. You don't, you don't hold yourself accountable. And I think that the accountability within a relationship and the accountability in communication is really, really big. And if I zoom out a little bit with the adults that we work with at, at OpenFlow, that's been a big thing where when you say that, when I'm in a conversation right here with you and you say A, B, C, I trust that that is your truth and I can hold you accountable to that. So when we even work with kids and we have restorative conversations, and I think this is one of the, the key ingredients in, in any recipe for communication and relationship is having those restorative conversations and bringing it right back to the now. The past happened. Okay, maybe you drove over your friend's foot with the bicycle and maybe you hold onto the animosity that he doesn't like you anymore, whatever that might be at a very simplistic level. But that's, that's done. So let's bring it to the now. And how, how can I hold you accountable to what's happening right now? So if you do say, I, I forgive you or I thank you for saying sorry, but um, I'm not ready to accept it, I, I hold you accountable for that. Or if you're saying, I want to come back with a conversation later, I hold you accountable for that. And this is something that a lot of time doesn't live in the, the traditional system because accountability looks different in relationships. Accountability looks different in, in communication. Um, so here, relationships and communication is human-centered. And I keep on saying human-centered, even if we're working with kids, because the last three years have been really interesting um, when you get into deeper conversations with people and they segregate children almost from humanness. It's like, yes, but you can't ask children what they think about it, or you can't ask children how they want to do it. I'm like, why? Why wouldn't you? Well, because they're kids, like, what does that mean? How I, I don't understand that part. Um, so I think when you have a level playing field that it's human to human, um, that that becomes interesting. And when you have all of these small indicators of I'm going to respectfully listen to you, I'm going to actually listen to you, and I'm going to listen to understand which part I'm missing or which part I'm not seeing. Because I'm sure if I find that piece in your words, my perspective will make more sense. And then that will change our relationship. Because if I'm upset with you, and I listen to you being upset, not trying to understand why am I only seeing that part, I can't fix that. I can't change my perspective. I can't let go of that implicit belief system that you are angry at me. And I, my whole body is just full of goosebumps like saying this because I see this with the kids and I see small little bodies breaking free from generational um, communication styles. I see kids breaking free from, you know, uh, societal ways of dealing with, with relationships. I see children pausing and allowing you closer. I, oh. Again, like it makes me really just, I can just feel my whole body tingling because as I'm talking to you, these mental pictures and glimpses of, of conversations and interactions with kids, just they come racing through my mind as, as data, as evidence, validating these words because it's so real. And it's only real to those of us that have gone that step. It is, we've gone that Instead of saying, oh, there's no time or the system doesn't allow or kids can't think this way or they don't have the capacity or they're too young, what, whatever that part is. But when you do go there, only then you'll understand that there is another way. And actually that one way has 500 other pathways on how, on how to do it. Um, I, I know when I went through the divorce and my youngest was, here at the learning center, he did the strangest things. He, he would go and we bought these beautiful cactus, cactuses, big ones. 
and he would just hack them into smithereens to show his frustration or he would just you know act out in in all of these anger bursts and at that point it wasn't a parenting style for me to actually unpack and because also generationally and culturally for me where I'm from it's kids for example are seen not heard and as a parent you have the authority and I mean I can even go I've been I had so much punishment on my butt when I was in school getting a smack or you know it's that's it's it's such an authoritarian way uh, of, of of educating and then growing up with all of that and carrying all of you know your parents and your grandparents and whoever came before the guy that came to I don't know to the Cape and colonized South Africa all of that you carry all of that generational generational evolutional evolutionary things and you arrive in this point in time and then somebody comes and says hey is this key yours? Because I see you stand in front of this closed door day, and I'm even getting so emotional, day after day. And I think this belongs to you. So just give it a go. And really after being handed that key um, and unlocking that door and almost entering into a new reality of manifesting what I know implicitly is right, manifesting in, in the physical what I believe in and having this, this place where I have permission to think different, to communicate different. And what that is doing for each and every child, because each and every one of these kids, they don't represent themselves. They represent a family, a parent, maybe two parents, maybe some siblings. So when you do bring this to each and every one of these kids, that's already exponential change because they go off and they touch so many others, whether it's in a 0.00% of the bigger scheme of things. That's more than nothing. That's, that's something. And yeah communication relationships what a gift what a gift that we have to be able to embark on this with with other humans because you can't do that with your dog or your cat or you know you can go into nature and you can have a conversation with a tree which i think will be very valuable in silence um but there's no other species like us there's no other no, and Megan Wheatley talks about, you know, we are homo sapiens sapiens, there's two. And, and you know, the invitation to behave in the sapiens sapiens, all of the beautiful things you've described, right? That beautiful prefrontal cortex that we've been given. <laughs> that, unfortunately, very often, you know, um, runs through programming, Um you know, and I and I wonder whether you you perhaps could talk to that because you've alluded to previously to cognitive so thinking, uh, and and you know the word that came up when you were describing things for me was like mindset. So uh, you know, again with my own experience, I really feel like like you, I'm being de-schooled. and all of my you know I was raised in France, you know, the country of Descartes very patriarchal society so I know my path is also around like what's my place as a woman in the world um, that until now has been led by men uh, you know and and the lead leadership has been about power and no love and and I know my heart is much more about love and much less about power <laughs> all of those things it's like I know the journey is also for 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 me as an adult not just for you know my uh, my son you know my eldest who's chosen to be home educated and but also for his brother who has chosen to stay in school for now you know, the door is always open. Um, and for my my husband, right? It's it's been a journey for all of us. Um and I and I wonder whether, you know, that 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 for you there has been a very clear shift in mindset or in, in the way you're thinking as well. 
I think there's been a softening in mindset um, alongside the shift in, in mindset. I think what I've come to realize is that mindset doesn't have to be binary. It doesn't have to be the one or the other. And um, I think all my life, I've been super strong in my mindset that it's, yes, do it like this. There's another way, but almost to the detriment of my thinking, of being very open or expansive, but it, it was almost closing everything down. So for mindset, and I think this is the beauty once again, yes, we are gifted with a prefrontal cortex, but so is many other animals. Um, but we are gifted with a different capacity to use it. And we're, we're gifted with a combination of our emotions and so much more that influences that pathway. So I, I really, when, when people talk about head, heart, hand, for example, education, where there's more than one way to educate, there's more than one way to learn, there's more than one way to be, um, I think then when you go to a mindset, there's more than one mindset to have. And, and that excites me once again, because you can move it up and down the scale, because I might be very set on something right now. But when I soften that, and I just move a little bit to the, to the center, that changes. And I think a, a body of work that kind of encompasses that in, in, current, um, in our current society, and that's definitely making more waves than, than ever before is empathy. So when you have more empathy in your decision-making or more empathy in your, in your mindset, and that doesn't mean you have to be having a weaker mindset, for example. It means that you can also pause because that mindset, it might not be forever. It might be true right now, but you also might walk into the next conversation and realize that, okay, I need to let go of something that was true in the previous conversation and I need to be more agile. And I think I have no problem, for example, with uh, traditional education systems. I have no, no problem with families or I don't, well, maybe problem is not the right word, but if you're a family, for example, that chose a traditional way, that doesn't make you greater or lesser than somebody that, for example, chose OpenFlow. And we, interestingly enough, something that's happening more and more for us at OpenFlow is that we, we, we get families that come in for one day a week, or we get drop-in families that comes in for six months and they go back to their home, home countries. And that's, even that is validating what I'm saying here right now, that there's this notion developing that it is okay to have a bit of that, and go back and then next time maybe a little bit more and and that more doesn't have to be open flow that more can be back in the system that more can be when you're as a parent for example talking to an educator and saying i hear you thank you for sharing so much about my child's grades um but i'm also curious is there something about my child that you might have seen that I haven't seen? Or is there something from a from my child's world that you can you know, share with me? Um, and not just, for example, traditional uh, grades or assessments or whatever that, that might be. That, that in itself is challenging a mindset of saying, oh, so you want to know more about your child's relationship to others or relationship to themselves with, within the system. Um, but first and foremost, that kind of comes back to us as parents. If I can speak with my parent hat on first, um, it's, it's, it'll be tricky to ask somebody that if you haven't done that yourself. And for educators, it will be tricky to be asked that if you haven't, taken on that mindset that there's multiple ways of looking at everything in education right in front of you right now and that you can soften that perspective maybe you are anti-testing maybe you are really that testing will show and indicate 
all the gaps, that's fine. But can you soften that a little bit and just ask if that is exactly what child A needs right now? Maybe all 25 needs it, but number 26 doesn't need it as much. Maybe 20, 26 in your class, because maybe you don't know everybody's names. I don't know how big your school might be, right? <laughs> but for some people, it's, it's not a question of, put the child's name again. Um, so it's a softening of, of perspective, I would say, for me. Um, and not so much saying, change your perspective. Well, that means I have to take, how, how will I change it? How big will that shift be? Will it be a 180 degree shift? Does it have to be a 90 degree shift? That sounds like a lot of work, first and foremost. That sounds like a lot of change. That sounds like, I don't know, COVID all over again on a daily basis. I don't want that. So what if I keep on looking exactly the same way that I'm looking, but with a softer lens or with a bit of more of a diverse lens? And what if that can just influence my perspective because I might blink and I might realize that I have gone 90 degrees in another direction. Or I might blink and I might realize I've gone 360 and I'm not the same person anymore. That'll be cool. But big shifts? Hang on a minute. <laughs> and it's so awesome because um, I am reading Eagleman's book at the minute, Live Wired. And he talks about how, you know, we have this notion that the brain is more like a computer. So what, as you were describing this, it, you know, and it fits in with the, the next question I have. Um, so it, it, it's, you know, the, the, the current, the way we were raised, I mean, I don't know about you, but the way I was raised is like this body is a machine, uh, you know. Remember, Descartes used to pin animals on on trees, right, and say, "No, don't worry about the squealing. There's, that's just you know, nothing there." So it's this like this is a machine. This is black, like you said, black and white. There's one way, you know, all of those things. And as you were you were talking, all I could see is like this sort of like loosening of all of those really hard constructs, you know, the and letting go, and and really like literally I feel like the last year well no I started before like during COVID the, the podcast 170 odd conversations I've literally been love wired so I know that from this conversation I've just had I'm a different person um and it's usually the same for the other person right um and it it seems to me that it requires us to to shift in terms of okay I can just relax and trust that it's uh, it, the words that came and like, you know, obviously, you know, my next question, flow and process. It's not hard, sort of wired and, um, and never ending. It's a real flow and a process. So given that your learning center is called Open Flow, would you share with us what that looks like on a daily, weekly sort of, you know. So if I if I wanted to come and, you know, I can't come, but, you know, like observe, what would I be seeing and feeling and hearing in the, you know, that's happening in the learning centre? Well, I'll, I'll start with yet. Um, maybe you won't come yet. And I think yet opens up the possibility of, of shifting maybe one degree at a time and you never know. Um, so open flow is very interesting and we, we did choose the name for a reason that it is open and it's open to the flow and it's open to being agile in, in many different ways. And it took us basically two and a half years of co-creating with the children that were in and out and whether it's families that stayed longer or uh, whatever the circumstances were. Uh, but with the children that we had for two and a half years, we co-created how we wanted the day to flow and it was such an amazing living research with the kids of them saying we want more choice or we don't want a schedule fixed like this or we want to have more outings we want to have more camps we, or this works this doesn't work we like this but this doesn't sit so well um so and I'm putting this as, as a little bit of background because now when you come to open flow, um, our, 
our weekly and monthly and seven cycle flow has been evolving for, for two and a half years to arrive at this more of a mature point where it's, it's a set rhythm now. So the flow has gone into a rhythm and, and that's, that's really interesting um, because you can flow and be open, but you can also have a rhythm within that. So how it works at Open Flow is you'll come in. And first of all, we have seven cycles, seven sprints, um, which is a very much uh, aligned with us being a place-based model and place-based being Bali. And most people that come here, they have a different rhythm um, because it is more of a relaxed, more of a travel rhythm uh, for, for people. So what we identified that instead of being 12 weeks in a term or 13 weeks in, in a term where educators are tired and kids are tired and parents just wanna take a break because maybe it aligns with you know, national or the school holidays or we don't have any of that. We said, okay, we're gonna have seven cycles and each cycle has a specific name. And we're having shorter bursts of five to six. And I think there's maybe one cycle in, in the calendar year that's seven weeks. So we do a burst and then we have a week off. Um, or maybe in Christmas time, there's a three week period that we're off. And it's also aligned with our local uh, educators' religious holidays. So we've really crafted it so that there's more of um, a flow and a rhythm at the same time. So I really like vertical and horizontal alignment so you'll come in in your sprint in that five weeks and a daily flow works like this you'll have morning circle everybody together we're mixed ages we have a transition group and i'll touch on that a little bit later um, and then every morning is an icebreaker a circle where kids you know get to see everybody and then they sign up for their day and signing up for their day, we call our non-negotiables. So I was laughing when you were saying, oh, you want to say negotiables and non-negotiables, but we actually talk about that. We say, okay, these, these are our negotiables. You can negotiate your time, how you want to spend your morning flow. Do you want to be in future food? And I mean, I wish I could get into all of these spaces as well, or in makerspace or in outdoor education or where, where would that be on, on the board? Where do you see you yourself? Where do you envision yourself on, on the board for, for the morning? But within that, we have non-negotiables every week, every day, which is science, math, and literacy. And kids get pulled out for those sessions and they have either one-on-ones or um, group sessions, which means you might sit next to a five-year-old in, in science who already has a different level of questioning and observing and you know formulating or whatever that might be or collecting data or whatever that project might be, which is so exciting. Um, and there's so many parts to this, but you might move into the math space for now where you're having, uh, we, we sometimes have kids that, that are second language, their second language is English and you need to go a little bit uh, slower or not slower in, in a cognitive sense, but slower in a supportive sense and helping them uh, transition into, uh, because a lot of that is language. Math is a language. So supporting kids in, in that. Our kids love math. They absolutely love it. It's, it's the weirdest thing. Again, it feels like many things here naturally and organically just goes head on head with the status quo. Uh, but it all comes down to what we previously said. It's that communication and the relationship that we build with the subject, with the content, with the kids, with the place. Everything is a way of living. Nothing is now it's school, now it's life, now the bell rings. And on that, there is no bell. And snack time, for example, there is no snack time. It's always snack time because I don't know when you're hungry. First of all, I don't even know if you came and had breakfast. So there's no, it makes no sense that I would sit in a class with a hungry child who just thinks about his snack box and who waits for 10 o'clock to have his snack. So we have a snack table that always has food. And the kids that are in future food, they are always working on recipes and taking um, 
things from the garden and uh, making, we've just got two new fridges uh, to put the, <laughs> I'm so excited about these fridges um, because I said, I want a child to walk up to the snack table. And first of all, well, first of all, I want a child to discern whether they are ready to concentrate or not. If they're not ready, do you need to move your body or do you need to put something into your body? Okay, so if you've identified that you need to put something into your body, I assume you're either hungry or you're thirsty. So when you, so this is the computer side, right? So down this node. So when you get to the snack table, do you rather want a healthy juice or do you want something more sensory to put into your mouth, food? Make that choice. Do that and let's get on with our day. I cannot shepherd you. You need that autonomy. You need to make those decisions. When you see four and five-year-olds navigate the space, it is absolutely phenomenal because it's, there's, there's more to education than just what happens in the headspace. And I think, I think many people have seen that during COVID. And I keep on referring to that because there was such a big disruptor for people to see another side. I think education came so close, so up close and personal in, in so many people's lives, right in their living rooms, in their kitchens, in their bedrooms, in their houses, in their workspaces. And it was like, what is going on? Um, and I think on that note, if, if you had experienced a different level of autonomy, you would use that. If kids had more of that in, in their daily rhythm, they would, they would access that. But you can only access that even from a, from a neuro perspective if that pathway is created and then, of course, maintained. Um, so that's kind of the morning flow. They go to their, their sessions and then they back into their project or whatever they are, they are working on. Then lunchtime is a time that we all eat together uh, at the Joglo. And the Joglo is, everything is repurposed at our learning center. It is a secondhand wooden structure, uh, even the ballets. And again, if you listen to the podcast and you want to go see Open Flow, just Google Open Flow Learning Center Bali and you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, so the kids get together, they eat there, and then they have free time to play. And do they play? They do the strangest things and they uh, uh, yesterday there was a parent visit and a parent asked me um because some of the kids went for uh, aerial hoop class because there's those options if you want to try th those things and parents want to send their kids to parkour we we take the kids there and we offer that it doesn't it doesn't only have to be us this is a there's an ecosystem here and every place that you have any place in the world has an ecosystem it just looks different in every ecosystem so in any case, this parent said, oh, so that's like when you guys have sports. I said, no, break time is like sports. When these kids come up with games and they run, they run. It's oh, so fascinating. And I said to one of the parents, you know, when children are allowed that freedom, and I'm talking about 13, 14-year-olds running around with nine, 10, eight-year-olds, playing like there's no tomorrow that's epic there's just no wall and i know there's this notion of wallessness but our walls are different to those wallaces this is like again vertical and horizontal walllessness not just architectural um it's a human walllessness and that's different that's the type of wall that i want to break down the human to human one not the architectural one so then for an hour, hour and a half until 1.30 in the afternoon, the kids have this free time. And they bring their bikes to school, their bicycles. We're on a dead-end road. Um, and we have an off-road track as well. So if you want to bike, if you want to do your push scooter thing, if you want to go on. And there's these waves that they all want to do this and they all want to do that. So it's, even that's very interesting. Um, but that's your time to play and to do whatever that is. And children choose different ways of, of using that time. And that in itself is such a beautiful indicator of where the, the group is, where the individuals are, and what's actually happening. 
Then after that, kids sign up for their afternoon activities. And again, they go to the board and they might choose whatever is on, on offer. Um, but every Wednesday afternoon, we have a base camp down at the river because our learning center is in a village, a very primitive village. <laughs> and um, we have quite a big piece of river front. And right at the end, uh, there's a little structure and there's a fire pit. And I need to touch on what's happening there this week. Yeah. And then kids go there for togetherness. And at the togetherness, they fish, they play in the river, they play games, they cook food together. The kids actually in makerspace, they've built a pizza oven down there. Our, our kids make donuts out of ubi flour, which is sweet potato, out of potatoes. They make donuts out of rice flour. They make donuts out of cassava, out of breadfruit, out of jackfruit, out of, I, I, we make our own chocolate. They've just baked this beautiful brownie cake last week. And uh, one of the kids said, you know that we, we made it all from here? And it's like, no, I didn't. But now I do because you've told me that. And that's, that's really important. So this week, okay, wait, wait. I get so excited that I, I kind of lose my train of thought. And then the day ends back in the Joglo and kids go home. But there's so many other moving parts because every second Friday we do a conservation project at uh, a local turtle sanctuary. And um, this week, kids arranged a camp. So tomorrow there are six kids sleeping over at school, camping at the base camp. And on the 11th of February, our kids decided to sleep over at the mangrove uh, sanctuary on the, on the 10th, because on the 11th, we're planting 700 mangroves with ecotourism Bali. So these organic things happen in between. And then we respond to that. And we respond because we do uh, idea harvests also with the kids. And like, what are, what are some of the things you're curious about at the moment? What are some of the things that you really hope to see during this cycle? What will a good cycle be for you? How can we respond to that? And we, we list that and we, we drive our, our program in, in those directions. So that's the non-negotiable, uh, the negotiable space. It's always responding to where the kids are, but then we still hold a steady rhythm of, if you can't read and write, those parts might be a bit more tricky. So it's important for us to hold these rhythms and these skills that will access, help you access more things um, into your future. So we're not coming from, you have to do this, you have to read, you have to write, you have to do math. Why? Because you need to get a job and you need to get pension and you need to buy a house and you need to buy a dog and a cat and I don't know, something. We're not coming from that view. We're coming from you will benefit from having these skills. You don't need them, but you might benefit from them. So as much as we trust you in making your decisions, you need to trust us when we make decisions. And that's a symbiotic mutual relationship we have at, at the Learning Center. And before I finish this part, the environment is very interesting here because you have a traditional, uh, I'm sitting in it now, which we didn't build a uh, cement structure that was built by a local developer who wanted to rent it out as housing. And we said, if you rent this out as housing, there'll be so many people in this dead end road. So we just rented the whole building and we repurposed it into a science lab in an admin studio upstairs where I'm sitting now. Um, and then you have these open spaces and sometimes you just have a space of learning that is no space. Like it's just the jati forest or you're next to the cows. There's just this, it's just very plastic. So kids are exposed to this all the time. And at the end of last academic year, oh no, last year, not the academic year, because we start in July, August is our academic year start. Our, two of our four-year-olds, this happened twice. First, it was the one four-year-old from the transition group that came for camp in the Joglo. and he was supposed to just stay until nine o'clock at night. He said, okay, he'll stay and then he wants to go home. And 
he came into the learning center with so much separation anxiety. So I was like, oh, that's so cool now that you've you know, transitioned a bit more. And sure, if mom or dad wants to fetch you at nine, that's great. Already you're showing us that you want to stay longer and just hang out with some of the other kids. And then it was pouring with rain. And it was in November last year. And his dad came and he's like, come, almost said the child's name, come, um, we need to go. And he's like, I'm not going home. And he started crying. He said, I'm sleeping over. And all of us, were, I mean, we were so shocked. We were so shocked. Like, is this, are you serious? We're like, okay, we're going to support your decision because it's based on what you're saying here. So I'm going to hold you accountable. And in this, within this accountability, you should know that there's trust, that if it is too much, we can still phone mom or dad. That's okay. But I'm holding you accountable right now for your words to say bye to dad, and then you're going to sleep over. And he slept over. And then we camped again in the last week of, of December. And he came and another four-year-old decided to do the same. And they actually flew back to their home country the next day. That was so bizarre. So he slept over at school. The next day he came on, he got on a plane and flew back to, I don't know, something like Norway or, or something. But it was just so fascinating. And I'm mentioning this because all of these bits and pieces they manifest themselves in, in scenarios like this. They don't manifest themselves in 100% or an A or in or any of those things. And I'm not degrading that. I am saying the manifestations can look differently. I would rather have a child with 10 spelling mistakes on a piece of paper reading out their poem in front of their friends than somebody who can write a thousand word essay and perfectly publish it in a journal. I, I would rather root for the one that just gets up and takes the risk or just, yeah, has that inner um, sense-making of, of finding your story in, in a different way. So sorry, that, that question, it's one of those questions where you kind of don't know when to stop. It's like a good chocolate cake. <laughs> just want it's fabulous. It's been, it's been amazing. So you've shared so much. So it's just like really beautiful. And I wonder where maybe perhaps I can invite you for a part two of a conversation. Sounds great. If that's all right, would you would you be game for that? Sure. Um, and maybe maybe you have some people asking something specific. That yeah. you can talk about. That yeah, also we'll, great. We'll, pub we'll publish this first interview because there's so mm -hmm. much in there. I think so much richness, and I love the description. Um, and then I'll invite you for a round two. I think there's there's more to explore. Um, mm -hmm. So to perhaps close this conversation, um, if there was one message or you know something you would want listeners to take away from what we've discussed, one you know several things. What would it be for you, McLean? I think a message to to educators. I think I'll I'll definitely dedicate it to educators, and that means if you're a parent, you're an educator. If you're a leader in an organization, you're an educator. If you're an individual, I'm sure there's a part of something that you do that makes you an an educator because even the way you model whatever you do makes you an educator, is just, just get on with things. Stop over, over analyzing, overthinking, or justifying. Just do things and get on with it, because there is no other time than now. Now is the right time for everything. Every single thing is in the right time now. And if you don't act on it, tomorrow won't be the right time. And if you don't act on it, Yesterday, that, that time would have passed. So just, that would be my message, yeah. Beautiful. 
And thank you so much for sharing so openly and, and beautifully. It's a real delight to have met you and I'm looking forward to conversation too. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. You can also reach me via Twitter at FlourishingHE on LinkedIn, or you can join our private Facebook group, Flourishing Education. All the links are easily available on anchor.fm. Thank you so much, and I hope you are flourishing. Bye for now.